Once the source of coveted building material, the tunnels that snake between the City of Lights are now home to a thriving subculture of urban explorers who face down danger at every turn. Whether from collapsing ceilings, unsavory characters, or the ghosts of lost explorers, the dangers of this underground expanse threaten to make you one more body added to the collection of six million who are already laid to rest down there. This week's episode is The Paris Catacombs. Fills with dread, probably a murderer who wants you dead. It could be a ghost, a demon, or worse. Perhaps you're the victim of a witch's curse. It's hopeless, you're doomed. You'd call a priest if you could. You'd rather just listen to who? Sinisterhood. Well, I've already been wanting to go to Paris forever, and now I have uh, not just one more reason, but six million more reasons to go. (laughs) It's funny. You hear about these cataphiles, and you're like, you folks, you're so wild and crazy for going down there. Then you start looking into it. I'm like, I want to go down there. (laughs) I don't know that I want to go to the unrestricted areas. I've been watching too many videos of shit that can go wrong and just you know we all know i don't like things that live underground so (laughs) surprisingly no one ever mentions rats or you never see them in the countless videos but they're down there they They have to be definitely down there right the only thing i was thinking was like maybe they don't have enough to eat but i mean if you're bringing food some of the parties that the cataphiles throw i'm like this is like a catered event (laughs) Oh, yeah. There's like full on like a 12 foot table with linens and and it looks like a wedding reception down there. It's wild that people are able to get that down there undetected. And the, the way I've seen people getting in, it's not set up where you can take, you know, uh, DJ equipment and shit. You're like crawling through like a it's two like- foot hole. I don't understand how it gets down there. There's got to be other secret little passageways but yeah i don't know it would i definitely want to go to the tour area Mm -hmm. but the majority of it is not open to the general public but if you Mm -hmm. find yourself a parisian cataphile who uh isn't going to rob you blind and leave you for dead like one of the youtubers i saw yeah that's the danger is like you can't you, you have to trust someone who won't give you their name, won't tell you, like, it's not like they're like, oh, you can check my reviews on Yelp. They're like, a guy knows a guy who knows a gal who knows a guy. And it's like, then you just have to trust that they get you down there and they're not like, all right, turn around, stick it up, stick them up. That's what this one guy did. He went down there for, uh, well, he he went for like two days. So his first day there, he had a bunch of footage, but then he and his friend get taken down. Some guy they just met on Instagram that was like, yeah, I'll take y'all down there. And then they get all the way down there. They walked like 20 minutes to this, you know, room through four feet of standing water. I mean, people (sighs) go to a lot of trouble to get down there. And then the guy was like, "Um, well, I'm going to, I'm going to, I got to go pee. And they were like, okay. So they kind of like left him while he peed. And then they came back and he had taken the video camera 
and bolted. So then the yeah. rest of the video is that one of them using, I guess, their phone, and they're just like, uh, well, we don't know how to get out of here. And they hadn't started to panic yet, but they were also like 20-year-old dudes. Yeah. So, you they're know, just kinda like- I would have been hyperventilating immediately. <laughs> But they're trying to find a way out, and then, like, about a half hour goes by, and out of nowhere, this other guy who's also exploring, just, they hear, he has a boombox, and he's blasting reggae music like he's at a rave, just, like, coming down one of the tunnels. They're like, yo! And he helps them get out, but- If he hadn't, um, it'd probably end up where they were not around to tell their story, which is what happens quite frequently. Yeah, you look at that footage and you like I I had that realization as I was watching it of this isn't live. Like at the time that they're filming this, they don't know they're about to get robbed or they don't know that they are going to no. even make it out and see a person. We get the retrospective like, oh, everything will be fine. But some of the twists and turns that Rob McFarlane, the author that wrote, which I have to shout out, Underland, A Deep Time Journey is phenomenal nonfiction, like environmental writing. It's so good. But he he went down in the catacombs with a cataphile and we linked the New Yorker article in the show notes. They took an essay from the book, so you don't have to read the whole book. But the it made me think of the Ben McDaniel episode we did with the twists and the turns of the cave, where like yeah. it's a third. He said at one point it was an eighteen inch hole that he had to no. go through and turn his head, and you have to take your backpack on your foot and scoop it. And the woman said, "Don't scream because the ceiling will cave in." Oh, and he said. <laughs> He said, I'm in there. It's Your arms are pinned to your side. He had to turn his head, and he said it's as tight as a coffin, and that he looked up, and the, it was cracked above his head, and that it all started to rumble. And he was oh. like, oh, my God. And she said, well, that's, you know, there's a train station above us. He's like, that doesn't make me feel better, because no. it means that the trains are shaking. That's heavy. Trains are heavy, yeah. and limestone isn't that secure. It can get dusty. I don't know that I'm willing to go to those links to do anything. It's just too, it's too risky. And I, I'm not like, I wouldn't classify myself as like extremely claustrophobic, but in those situations, yeah, I would, if something was, if I felt that closed in and trapped, I would flip out. Yeah, no, exactly. It feels kind of like you're, um, you don't want to panic. And he said he just started panicking and hyperventilating, but then he had to talk himself down and was like, you can't freak out here. You're, you're, mm-hmm. you will die if you freak out. So he had to like come out of it, but I probably would freak out and just die. <laughs> and then I'm like, did everybody at this rave, this 300 person rave down there crawl through these things? Because nobody looks like they're covered in dirt and shit. It's like, I- they're in like party clothes. You guess what's in the backpack? You bring, you go down in your traveling oh, clothes. I guess maybe you bring a backpack. Maybe. But yeah, when they came out of that hole on the other side, there was like a rave and a party going down. Every song was like Underground by David Bowie, Underground by Ben Folds. I was like, is it just the same playlist you guys listen to? <laughs> the Underground uh, playlist? Well, I don't know how people do it, but it is quite impressive. And there's no shortage of TikToks and videos on YouTube that show. All I mean, first person going through types of uh, experiences. So it's very creepy. You can go without having to go. Yeah, exactly. That's what in this box behind me that holds our uh, fuck mouth moon. I don't know. If there's another word for it, but that's where I keep like when we get postcards from listeners. And someone sent us our uh, listener Rebecca sent us a postcard from the catacomb. So oh, nice. thank you very much for taking the time to do that on your Parisian trip. And uh, if we ever go, we'll have to reach out because. 
I want to go. I want to oh, go. Oh yeah, I definitely want to go. Well, for those of you that have been, uh, we want to hear from you. Send in yeah. a Freaky Friday story if you've got one about the catacombs. If you haven't been, let us take you there. Let's go <laughs> with let our go. with our uh, uh, recount of how it started and what it could end up being for yeah, the city hopefully. of lights. A future. And thank you to our patrons at the Get Into It tier for voting on this. Yes, this was the one they voted on. So thank you so much. Good choice. Well, I'm Christy. I'm Heather. And let's get into it. Located 65 feet underground and comprising over 300 miles of tunnels, the area known today as the Paris Catacombs got its start as a large deposit of limestone. Beginning around 800 years ago in the 1200s, the people of the area, now known as Paris, quarried for the precious rock. It was a valuable material for construction of some of the most beautiful Parisian architecture that still mostly stands today, including the Louvre and Notre Dame Cathedral. And that's what Rob uh, uh, McFarland in Underland points out that like limestone is crushed shells and crustaceans from like a billion years ago. So it really already is kind. I mean, it's dead, but it was once made of living stuff. Mm -hmm. And now it's encasing dead stuff that living people it's just like the cycle continues man continues it also i never realized this is where we get plaster of paris Mm. because the limestone i mean it is you know kind of dusty crumbly and then you add some water and stuff to it and it makes this paste it all makes sense now all connects and it's all busted up shells from a billion years ago right At first, the rock was taken from beneath areas on the outskirts of the city, but by the 1600s, those resources had been depleted. The thirst for high-quality material drove miners to dig from right beneath already existing buildings. The quarrying effect resulted in an extensive network of tunnels, covering an estimated 300 miles of twists and turns beneath the city. The miners reinforced the tunnels with impressive support pillars and archways to decrease the likelihood of a collapse. And it's impressive that they were doing this down there in the 300s, the 800s, the 1600s, but physics are physics, and it's like, you should stack something up to fix that roof, but you can only stack up so many rocks. At the time, Paris was not the Paris we know now, so it wasn't as populated and built up. But, I mean, I'm no... um, archaeologist or scientist but eventually if you start carving out shit from under the ground the stuff on top of it is gonna fall through sir we've all played jenga and you don't want to do that (laughs) with a building on top no 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 this is sinkholes quicksand are two (sighs) things that i'm always as a child was like i'm gonna encounter one of these one day i haven't but i also don't live in a city to my knowledge that (laughs) has an entire other city underneath it. That's the eerie thing is in uh, that New Yorker essay. He's like, we got really quiet for a while and we could hear like people talking because there was a shaft that went up like 60 feet and you can just hear like footsteps and people talking. I'm like, the people up there, I mean, I guess you just accept it as you live there, but like there's somebody right under your feet just like looking up. All the stuff I saw, though, was like, most people that are walking to these cafes and boutiques have no idea what's underneath them. To which I said, I I mean, it's not a a secret. The catacombs Mm -mm. are down there, but maybe people don't realize just how large of an area it is. 
because only certain parts are open to the public, a very, very small percentage of the actual catacombs are open to the general public. So yeah, you could just be sitting having your latte and you're like, oh, underneath me is just a room full of bones. Yeah, a bunch of bones or people, somebody that has been lost down there and you don't know, or there's a party, people watching a movie, who knows? But that's the (laughs) map that he used was made by these, we'll get to them, these like secret underground in two ways underground network. But he said it was 16 full size, like eight and a half by 11 pages printed out. Like that's to get it down to granular, like it's the whole entire city. Like there's Mm -hmm. pretty much nowhere that there's no tunnel. Yeah. They said when you, if you look at the blueprints, it's like you're seeing Paris in the 16th century. And to go down there is like you're immediately transported 200 years back. God damn. Which is incredible. It's magical. Even with the impressive engineering for the time, the insatiable appetite for more and more limestone led to the increasing excavation of the areas under existing structures. After a series of sinkholes opened up, Parisians walked uneasy, afraid the ground beneath their feet would cave in. An 84-foot sinkhole cracked open at the Rue d'Enfer in 1774, but it was the 1778 collapse in Minomontan that was the final straw. This incident saw seven people sucked into the depths below. When their bodies were found 80 feet below street level, there was an outcry for the government to do something. You're just hauling your buggy of baguettes or whatever the fuck, and then you just sink into the ground. Not to mention Rue d'Enfer means Hell Street. So it happened. Well, <laughs> it happened it was aptly named, wasn't it? Uh, yeah, there's a lot of French words in this, so... I am not French, contrary to popular belief. (laughs) So uh, give me a little bit of grace with all of these words. Sure. But yeah, you're just strolling along and boom, just you don't even know what hits you. Nobody around knows what's happened. It's just the ground opens up and all of a sudden you're gone. I mean, an 84-foot sinkhole, that's the diameter Yikes. of it. That's huge. It just would eat anything. I mean, entire buildings fell in. Yeah. Um, it's You can't, you don't come back from that. No, no, you don't. You become part of the uh, catacombs. That is your final resting place. Right. And then, then it was just, they, they're they like, well, I just fell into a mine shaft that was under my house that I didn't know was down there. Yeah. Fuck. Like this lady on fucking TikTok that's just digging oh, shit woman. her house and- I'm like, if I was part of this bitch, I would be up in arms. You can't just go doing that. You I'm can't. I'm anti-tunnel woman. Oh, yeah. She doesn't know. I mean, you can have all the engineering degrees in the world, but if you just start digging under the ground willy-nilly where people live right next door to you, I mean, again, I'm not some kind of scientist, but- We've all played Jenga. You pull one out, the yeah. rest are going to fall. It's just how science works. There's the, the fuck around, find out principle. And she's, I mean, uh, I haven't I haven't actually looked and saw what happened because I know she was saying some, they were inspecting and going out there or whatever, but I'm very anti that just on account of, there are reasons for having different sets of eyes, inspectors, the gas company, the land surveyors, all that stuff. And if you live on a quarter acre that's so that's smaller than my yard and house and Mm -hmm. to dig a a tunnel under that 
to me, it's rude and entitled, and I don't like it, and roast yeah. me for it, but I'm anti-tunnel lady. Plug it up. Plug up her tunnel. <laughs> fill it back in. You shouldn't have done it. And all the money you put into it, you don't deserve to get reimbursed for it, because you should have got permission from... We all live in a society together. If you want to dig your shit up, go live out in the country where there's nobody around, and if shit caves in, it's just you. Yeah. I mean, you have to get a permit to put a pool in yeah, or do any kind of like, uh, you know, if it's over a certain amount of construction on your house, if you want to build an addition, you have to get a permit from the city. So you can't just go underground where it's the diciest of situations and you're fucking with the foundation of everybody around you. Mm-hmm. Like you can't, you can't do that. Much how I feel about, I got to pay taxes I want everybody to have to pay taxes. Yeah. And if I hear that someone evades or taxes, I'm like, none of us to have to pay taxes. <laughs> exactly. That's or none what of I us. Like. <laughs> I would much prefer that. But it's like, I want to put a pool in. I can't afford it. I won't do You know what I mean? Even an above ground pool, if it's above so many inches, I got to talk to the city. I got to talk to all these people. Yeah. So if I got to do it, so do you. Yeah. We have rules. <laughs> Does anybody give a shit about the rules anymore? That's how I feel. And no, they don't. No, no, no. Sinisterhood will be right back. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Well, I always say our relationship is one of the most important ones in our lives, in my life. We talk all the time. We see each other often. And being friends for five years, our relationship has grown and changed. And therapy has helped me figure out ways to work on our relationship. I love it. It's also one of the most important relationships in my life as well. And a common misconception about relationships is that they have to be easy to be, quote, right. But sometimes the best ones happen when both people put in the work to make them great. And I feel like we do a really good job of that. Of course, there's always room for improvement, which is when therapy becomes a great tool. So you can kind of have that sounding board and a third party that's unbiased to kind of guide you in the right direction. For sure. And I never went to therapy until we were friends and you talked about how it helped you. And I was like, I want to go too. <laughs> therapy is a great place to work through challenges you face in all your relationships, not just friendships, but also work. Well, also work, but your significant other or anyone you want to talk to. And I, I have my better help therapist. I have my standing Monday morning appointment, which I love. And speaking of worrying about getting things right, that's something I worry about is perfectionism that I didn't even realize I was a perfectionist until I went to therapy. So things like that, it just is a new way to look at what you're doing in your life already. Sometimes we're too close to something Mm -hmm. to name it or see it for ourselves. But somebody on the outside will be like, oh, well, it's because X, Y, Z. And it's just, yeah, it's like just (laughs) your mind explodes. You're like, oh my God. And it opens up a whole world you didn't think was possible. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's convenient, flexible, affordable, and entirely online. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. Become your own soulmate, whether you're looking for one or not. Visit BetterHelp.com Sinister today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot Sinister. Being swallowed whole by the earth wasn't the only worry of Paris residents in the late 1700s. They were also at risk of illness due to the overwhelming number of corpses stacked up in the city. When the Romans arrived in 52 BC, they set up shop in the area, adding infrastructures such as roads, baths, and temples, and transforming the settlement into an important urban center within the Roman Empire. For over eight centuries, people were living and dying in what is modern-day Paris. 
The Cemetery of the Innocents was created in the 1200s and became the most popular and later the most overcrowded cemetery in Paris. By the 1770s, it was a public health concern, overflowing with corpses and emitting a putrid odor. I did not know until I read Erin Marie Legacy's book, which we reference in this, and it's a great book. Shout out to the Dallas Public Library. That's where I got it. But that they, it was like mass grave situations. Like yeah. you were just chucking pretty much like people into it until it sort of, and then put dirt on it until it rotted and then just do it again and do it again and do it again. And Cemetery of the Innocents. And it's like, that's how you, that's what we do with the innocents. Yeah. There's, a, I mean, no shortage of pictures and, and stuff of what this actually looked like. And yeah, I mean, they exhumed it and it's like just 20 skeletons just stacked up on top of yeah. each other in, in a grave. And, you know, much like we've talked about with doctors saying, what? Yeah, I just touched a corpse, but I'm going to go deliver a baby. There's nothing wrong with that. Like people in it, to us, it seems like, well, duh, of course, just having <laughs> corpses everywhere is going to be a, a health hazard and everyone's going to get sick and it's disgusting. But people didn't know as much back then mm -hmm. and they didn't have the, the science or the medical knowledge. So hindsight's 2020, but what hasn't changed is everyone's being able to smell the putrid stench of death yeah. and knowing, you know what, maybe that isn't something that I want to live around. Yeah, whether you know that it will actually, which towards like the end of the 1700s is when they started being like, oh, if you inhale the death, it will cause the death because of mysticism. And you're like, no, it's science. But they didn't know that. Yeah. 52 BC was a really long time ago. And even yeah. the 1770s was a pretty long time ago. But you, the stank. I'm not trying to live, regardless if I thought I was like safe, I don't want to live next to that. God, no. it's horrible. No. There was a raccoon that died in the front yard a couple months ago. And that, I can't, the people that work in first responder, death care, crime, crime scene, and all that stuff, God bless you because they yeah. can't stomach it. Takes a strong stomach. And, hazmat uniforms which people did not have back then mm -mm, no no or no. gloves they're just barehanded it yeah i don't know masks maybe pulled your shirt the, up like, over your face pointy yeah, kind or, or yeah the plague, the, the plague doctor mask scariest mask that's Fuck. ever been created why was that what they decided a, a doctor should wear like <laughs> oh you're on death's door hold on the doctor's here and you're like go oh, grim reaper you're like no it's just the doctor that's just the mask that he's chosen to wear he's like oh hello let me take this off he's like i was trying to scare them back to hell <laughs> you're like well it didn't work all your patients have died one they of them jumped like out a window he just ran off he was afraid of you crazed crows it's <laughs> horrible i fucking hate it steampunk in those masks i'm sorry it might be an unpopular opinion, but I can't stand either one of them. They're banned. Been the creeps, both of them. <laughs> Other cemeteries around the city had been constructed, but those also failed to implement the new sanitation principles introduced by Enlightenment thinkers of the latter half of the 1700s. The human remains oozing out from between bricks of the walls of some cemeteries were making Parisians ill. The wafting smell of human remains made living near these graveyards unbearable, and the decomposition materials leaching into the water supply made it deadly. Yeah, the one of the people described tripping on the sidewalk and grabbing the wall outside the cemetery <laughs> to stop their fall, and the, the, the 
it was a goo kind of ooze situation, I would have taken the fall. I take the L. Just let me fall face first into the concrete versus touch a wall to break my fall and then slip in the human goo. But then you fall face foot into the concrete and you open up a sinkhole <laughs> and now you're 80 foot underground in a mine shaft. There was no good way to handle this. Oh, I learned take something me, Lord. Um, quite disturbing that I'd never known until doing research for this. Love a fucked so, up fact. So the um, name given to when these bodies would decompose and they were just kind of this gelatinous ooze was called corpse wax. Nope. And when they were moving all the bodies, the um, candle makers and soap makers of the area were like, oh, give me all that corpse wax and then made bars of soap and candles out of it and sold it to people. So you're just washing yourself with a bar of corpse wax. Like you heard uh, Bill up the street died? Yeah, I'm going to light a candle in his honor. (laughs) A Bill candle. (laughs) It's like it's made out of them. Oh, uh, you know what? Yeah. We're using every part of the body. I guess oh. so. I feel like if we don't want to be breathing it, we also shouldn't light no. it and then no. have it in our house and certainly not bathe ourselves with it. No, it'd be like, thank you, Martha. Sorry that you died. <laughs> Washing in my underarms. Like, that's horrible. She foams great, though. It's fantastic. <laughs> and then, oh, you smell like Martha. She passed a week ago. She must be here with us. Well, kind of. In a way. I bathed in her uh, in the like the likeness of her earlier today. <laughs> She'll uh, never leave us. She's absorbed God. into my skin. God damn. Well, love a fucked up fact, and that yeah. is definitely well, one. There you have it. Also, another fact, not as fucked up but weird. It's illegal to stare at the mayor of Paris. Oh, take me! Back. I'll t- you better lock me up. <laughs> I'll make eye contact. I'll never stop. <laughs> Never, never break stop. it. <laughs> what are the shows? Contest. What are the YouTube things I was watching in between? It would be like fun fact, and then the <laughs> corpse wax was one, and then that was another one. God damn. The city had two problems with the same solution. Beginning in 1780, the city decreed that the Cemetery of the Innocents was an intolerable and illegal threat to the city. Bodies were ordered to be exhumed and reburied in the tunnels beneath the city. Remains from revolutionaries killed during bloody battles throughout the 1700s had already been discarded down there. So the relocation seemed logical. And you're like, where do we put these? Well, I've been hucking them down that hole. And they're like, oh, okay. It's probably okay. not full yet. This is going to sound stupid. And I don't know that there's an answer. But watching all of this, I just kept thinking, why... And I don't want to sound insensitive. And I know that, you know, some religions and cultures, you bury the dead and things of that nature. But when there's just not room and we're taking up, even today, so much land with the dead, my question is a simple why. Yeah, it's a, it's that's an interesting one. That thing that we watched, that mushroom coffin that you showed me where you yeah, could- yeah, yeah. It's made out of that mycelium. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's made out of the mycelium and it it hardens and then it also becomes part of the earth and it then like goes to, we're going to have to switch to that because we are running out of room, running out of room. I went to a funeral recently and I mean, we all know there's the coffin, but then sitting off to the side is the giant cement block 
that the coffin goes into mm-hmm. that is then put into the ground. So you've yes. got this giant's, you know, however long, eight foot long cement coffin. It's bigger. With the other anything. coffin inside. And that's not going to. That's not biodegradable. That's no, just going to sit opposite. there. It keeps it from degrading, which is crazy. I mean, it also keeps stuff from leaching into the ground. But that we watched the staircase, and when they went to exhume that other woman's body, mm-hmm. and it had been buried for eighteen years, it's like reasonably intact because it was like sealed in this cement. I didn't know that until my dad died, and we had to go to Caskets and More, which is like the discount <laughs> casket place because we love a deal in our family. My dad would never wanted us to pay retail, and we we got that. And then she's like, "Okay," and then we'll also get the tomb. And I was like, "The fuck's a tomb?" And it's that yeah. big cement thing that goes around it. And when I have crazy panic attack flashbacks and think worry things about my dad, it's mostly about envisioning that tomb in the ground. And I should not have thought so much about it. Um, and I have, it's like exposure therapy. The more I think about and talk about like death stuff, it does help me like kind of deal with it. But it also has me say, put me in a casket made of mushroom, please. Or, I mean, my dad was cremated because yeah. he hated the idea of being underground and mm-hmm. bugs and worms and whatnot. The I mean, song. I think the concrete and all ceiling inside helps prevent all of that. But wouldn't it be a more... um environmentally friendly solution perhaps again i don't i don't know uh if we all went the way of cremation yeah that well and that uh, i'm sure we'll get emails and dms and stuff because there are some environmental issues and risks with that with the when it's close to homes and the true excess smoke is going and the people are having to inhale it and stuff that's why i like like turn me into a tree turn me into like a big mushroom thing and let me become one back with the earth (laughs) now we can't just put a dead body in the ground because yes, that will leak into the water supply mm-hmm. and things. And that makes people sick, but like that mycelium coffin we saw, or there's another company that um, you, they put you in like in a pod and it, a tree grows from it. Or mm-hmm. there's another one where they basically keep you at their facility in this um, compost type situation. And they just turn the body and care for it until it, decomposes on its own and then they mulch it and then they give all of the mulch to the family and then you can do whatever you want with it just plant a little tomato garden you could yeah you could spread it around but it's it's of course it's more expensive yeah if it became more normalized perhaps it wouldn't be but i just like this situation where we're like well we got Six million bodies that we don't really know what to do with. Well, let's chuck them underground in this hole. Mm-hmm. It's is wild that that was the only solution at the time, right? And I wonder if in what that was two two and two hundred fifty years ago, that if in two hundred fifty years from now they're like in Dallas, like there is a six acre like huge thing called Restland, and there's a bunch of bodies under it. We're gonna have to pull these up because people need to live here or whatever. Mm-hmm. Like you realize, like we only can control like for how long we're around. There's plenty of cemeteries that get. People get disinterred and they move them around. Mm -hmm. So who knows? But if I'm a tree and they cut me down, maybe I become paper and somebody writes something great on it. Or somebody writes a mean note on it. (laughs) Regardless. Either way, you're still out in the Or your toilet paper. (laughs) But I like like the idea very much of going back into the earth. And, Mm -hmm. you know, that way you're still, you you know, you get to create new life. life. From your death comes new life. And that would... 
That would make me happy. You can also get like made into coral and put in the Great Barrier Reef and shit. I'm in. It's wild. You can do all sorts of stuff. Just don't make soap out of me. No, but maybe a candle. (laughs) Maybe. (laughs) Maybe a candle, but I'm a candle that's never lit. I'm just like on the mantle and everyone's Ella's like, don't light that candle. Mother. Cannot light mother. (laughs) (laughs) In 1786, as their fellow Frenchmen slept, priests accompanied wagons full of bodies from the old Roman cemetery and other dilapidated burial grounds as they were dumped into the tunnels, now known as the catacombs or underground cemetery. Owing to ongoing revolutionary bloodshed, the catacombs remained full of bones, but relatively ignored for nearly a decade. According to historian Aaron Marie Legacy, government documents from the time described the catacombs in a state of confusion and in many places of ruin. I'm not going to do a French accent. (laughs) (laughs) It's up to you. (laughs) A state of confusion and in many places of ruin. The air had become stagnant and unwholesome, and water oozing from above had rendered them extremely unsafe. Water oozing from above. It still oozes from above. When Rob was down, Rob McFarlane was down there, he's like, we went one way and it was dry. And when we came back, it was wet. And the woman he was with, the catafile was like, well, it must have rained up there. It's like, it just comes leaking down here. Yeah. And back then, it wasn't all paved. It was just big piles of wet bodies. And the catafiles, even today, when they're going through, I mean, they're wading in hip deep water through some mm-hmm. of these areas. To me... I'm like, what if it started pouring and there was a flash flood situation? Yeah. It's, it's, I mean, it's, it's known to be very unsafe. But also there are these rooms that have just giant pools where people say the water is crystal clear because it's like well water, essentially. And they'll just go swimming. I don't know that I would go swimming in water that was just a stone's throw away from a bunch of human skulls. I don't think so, because you don't know no. where it ran off from or what. No. Even if it looks crystal clear, like microbes that crawl up your pee hole, they're so mm. small, you won't see those. <laughs> It'll Mm-mm. seem crystal clear, and then bam. Oh. In a document uncovered by Legacy, government officials decreed that resources be dedicated to improving the ruins underfoot, lest the city become engulfed in the entrails of the earth. In the mid-1790s, Louis-Étienne Ericard de Toury was appointed to leadership of the Department of Mines and Quarries. A meticulous engineer by trade, the 33-year-old de Toury began a plan for how to organize the indiscriminate pile of bones before him into something beautiful. Between 1795 and 1809, de Toury and his crew began improving the structural elements and arranging the bones of nearly 6 million humans into decorative patterns and formations. Just before the catacombs opened to the public in 1809, de Toury told a gathered crowd, I believed it was necessary to take special care in the conservation of this monument, considering the intimate rapport that will surely exist between the catacombs and the events of the French Revolution. The interior walls were strengthened, ventilation was improved, and according to De Tari, the bones were arranged with as much art as skill. Nothing was spared to make this monument worthy of public veneration. And it is impressive. Now... Mm-hmm. Did he take all six million skeletons? No, 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 no. No, you can A lot the good of ones. them, but a lot of the rooms just have 
piles, like floor to ceiling piles of bones just discarded. Or even perhaps there's like uh, in one area, there's like a retaining wall essentially built of like femurs and skulls in a decorative type pattern. It does look great. It's really well done. They made (laughs) the little archway heads. (laughs) Behind that, it's just, again, like don't look back. Don't look at the man behind the curtain. There's just bones and bones. And I wondered people probably take them right i would hope not like i probably would some, some some people do, do though there's some perverts probably that, yeah there's signs saying please don't steal the bones there's signs that say don't throw garbage off of your boat and then you find a coke can at the bottom of the mariana trench so people oftentimes are selfish and just want to do things but i think some of the discarded ones like i'm sure people have probably snatched them yeah you're cursed because you stole a bone from the roman I from like so. <laughs> A thousand, two thousand years ago. <laughs> no, no, no. Because I mean, it's. I was shocked, and this is going to sound stupid and naive, at the size of some of them. Because, yeah, our femurs and our it's like a cartoon leg bones and shit—they're huge. But I mean, yeah, they're they're just. Every, it's like if you came upon a den that a dragon was occupying. You know, I mean, yeah. they're just fucking everywhere. And it's another thing of like, if for some reason all of our, you know, literature and stuff gets wiped out, that if in 250 years you're like, oh, what's under this? Oh my oh. God, what did they do? <laughs> I mean, it really defies explanation. But he did put it with as much art as with skill because it is, I mean, it's not, they didn't just stick them all up on the wall. They're in like no. nice designs and patterns and stuff. I would just really be really sad if they like picked my skull up and they're like, this one is garbage. And then they get thrown on a <laughs> they pile. They just lost it in the and pile. Like, hey. What I also learned is to to this day, in present day, they are constantly having to be rebuilt and rearranged mm-hmm. so they don't just collapse because there's nothing holding them all together apart from their own weight and much like Jenga, the way they're kind of shoved in. in there. Yeah. But, you know, I mean, people take one, you take one out, the whole fucking thing collapses or just normal wear and tear. They shift and then they have to like put them back together so they don't just collapse on everybody. Yeah, that's nerve wracking. If you're on a tour and you just like lean over to tie your shoe and all of a sudden a wall of skulls fall on you and you're like, my bad. <laughs> I feel like, like that's a curb your enthusiasm yeah. episode. <laughs> Some shit that would happen Just to us. waiting to happen. Oh, man. Oh. On February 4th, 1809, the catacombs officially opened to the public for tours. A sign above the 90 steps that took tourists down into the depths read, Stop. This is the empire of death. Curious visitors paid admission and received a candle to light their way. They were allowed to roam the depths and take in the beautiful horror. As one visitor described it in the guest book, bones were stacked in decorative piles and walls were lined floor to ceiling with bones. The archways carved by quarry miners were now lined edge to edge with anonymous human skulls. The only identifiers for any of the remains were small signs indicating the cemetery of origin and date of exhumation. And that was one sad thing was that you know, for the most part, everyone kind of understood that it was going to be anonymous. But there were definitely people whose family members had been in the cemeteries who walked through and like one woman wrote, like, I'm really devastated. I couldn't find my father's skull. Aww. And it's like, well, yeah, I mean, because some of them were real, real old, you know? Yeah. But I mean, 
if they're buried in a mass grave, the chances yeah. were you weren't going to find it anyways. I no. mean, there were not really any markers back then, Mm-mm. or at least, you know, uh, individual markers to show like, here's where such and such lies. It was kind of yeah. just, I mean, obviously the city was busting at the seams. Yeah. And this was the, the catacombs were happening, right? They created Père Lachaise, which is the cemetery that's like on the east side of the city where the rich people, you like really, really rich, fancy graves medium kind of graves and then like poorer people could just have like a grave with a marker which like you said was like not a thing that was done at the time so it's interesting that at the same time people are like not my family member do not throw them in the pile <laughs> like yeah. even be here but th- that also became something that people would want to kind of walk through but th- it's interesting the idea of like really super marked graves with like a full ass statue of the person that's down there versus a big ass pile in your head's just one of a million that's that lining this archway Oh, sure. Even then, I mean, obviously then, like, classism and Mm -hmm. hierarchies and everything existed and applied in life and in death. And especially at this time during the French Revolution. Mm Mm-hmm. Sinisterhood will be right back. A guest book at the exit allowed thousands of visitors to add their thoughts over the next few decades. Not everyone felt the same about the underground ossuary. Historian Erin Marie Legacy cataloged the guestbook contents in her book, Making Space for the Dead, and noted the range of emotions felt by those who passed through the bone-lined walls. For some visitors, the depths seemed to remind them of their own mortality. Upon viewing the naked bones, before him, one visitor in 1811 wrote, They were what I am, and I will be what they are. Social hierarchies were meaningless down below, with one visitor noting, A nobleman is nothing but a pile of dust. Ashes to ashes, we We all all fall down. Yeah, dude, we all end up the same. Death is the ultimate equalizer. And, you know, I mean, you might be honored above ground and, like you said, a fancy type grave with a statue and stuff. But for the person that's dead, what does it matter? I mean, that's for the living still to enjoy. But down there... It was, they're all nameless. Yeah, especially the ones that if you think about from way back in the Roman days, like the most powerful conqueror, he still got thrown in a pile of bones and he ends up next to the person that he conquered. And it's like, what was it all for? Yeah, the author, and his name escapes me, forgive me, but the original author of Cinderella and Little Red Riding Hood is buried down there. I didn't know that. Who mm-hmm. is that? Some other Hans- nobleman too. Hans Christian Andersen, that's not who that is? No, no. it was a Frenchman. Oh, never mind. Hans Christian Andersen. <laughs> yeah, that one, that one. You just say it that way, it makes it French. <laughs> However, some visitors found themselves amused, writing of the joy and pleasure they felt down there. Struck by the death all around him, another visitor mused, Here, one can learn how to live. The most relatable entry came from an early visitor that read, I've seen death. It is in front of my eyes, but my stomach is grumbling and I'd much rather eat. Hard relate. Hell yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I love reading old shit from like, there's like a James Baldwin quote that talks about like, if you ever feel a thing and you're like, I've never felt this before, you can read something from like a thousand years ago and someone has probably felt the same thing as you. And that's why I love writing so much and, and things like this where it's like, it wasn't all fun and, you know, it wasn't all like, hoo, 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 haughty, important things. Like, there were people fucking around back then. <laughs> oh, you see a pile of bones. All of a sudden, yeah. you're like, bones, 
chicken. Chicken wings? Damn. <gasps> Fucking some chicken wings sound good right now. <laughs> like, honey, can we get out of here and get some wings? She's like, be <laughs> reverent. We're in. There's a bunch of bones around us. He's like, yeah, I want there to be a bunch of bones around us on a table with yeah. some dipping sauce. Mm-hmm. With some ranch. Oh, dog. Those who visited or even just heard about the catacombs were intrigued by their macabre beauty. Writers included descriptions of the labyrinth in their memoirs, but one of the earliest fictional representations was in Victor Hugo's renowned novel Les Miserables, published in 1862. The catacombs serve as the backdrop for several pivotal scenes involving Jean Valjean's escape from authorities through the twists and turns of the treacherous tunnels. The visceral imagery describing an entire other world beneath the famously beautiful City of Lights solidified interest in the dark tunnels and ensured their budding legacy. When we were in, um, I think, 11th grade, we went to Thespian Convention, Troop 6292. And I just have to shout out my friend Matt, who during a production of Les Miserables, when Jean Valjean has like a big scene and then dives off into the sewers that it was, you know, a quiet theater, he leans over and whispers to us, he just committed suicide. We <laughs> <laughs> all laughed so hard. And uh, I sh- we should all make Everyone's a joke. like, this is not a comedy. Uh, <laughs> Troop 2962, please keep it under control. <laughs> We're like, I just want us to all strive to make a joke that's a pun that's so good that it's lasted 20 years. <laughs> there you go. There you have it. Also, um, Phantom of the Opera. Oh, yeah, the, yeah. Um, the canal underneath that the Phantom uses to get around and everything is – those are real down there. Like mm-hmm. I said, there's like entire ponds and lakes and rivers and stuff. And even firefighters will use it as a way to do like underwater um, rescue training in, in dark areas. I mean, That's those – the perfect place. Those are down there. Yeah. Is it the perfect place? <laughs> yes. <laughs> I guess you're diving down to do a rescue mission and then you just come face to face with a fucking skull. God. Yeah. Horrifying. You're probably, if you're a firefighter, you're not scared, but I would be. You're probably used to it. Similarly, the relatively consistent temperature of 60 degrees Fahrenheit in the catacombs made it ideal for local breweries. Here, beer makers could brew and store their beer for free, not having to pay a fee for above ground space. It also proved to be the perfect place for growing mushrooms, specifically the species known as Paris mushrooms. After a Parisian farmer tossed what he believed to be a failed crop of mushrooms down into the depths of the quarry, he soon realized he had stumbled upon a huge discovery. The dark underground setting provided the ideal climate for the fungi. By 1880, more than 300 mushroom farmers worked in Parisian quarries to produce 1,000 tons of Paris mushrooms each year, according to Atlas Obscura. Unfortunately, the plans for Paris's underground metro system in 1896 led to the demise of the underground agricultural system. Man, 1,000 tons a year is a lot of mushrooms. The pictures of these people just in these tiny little cramps tunnels and lining the sides are just thousands of mushrooms that apparently the farmers that many of it was passed down from generations and their family were like you can never get the taste of a paris mushroom anymore because now apparently most of the mushrooms that paris has are imported from china and it's just not the same taste heather 
I think it hits different when it's made below your very feet mm-hmm. in that like dank, especially if it stays at a consistent temperature. That's that I'm sure factors into the sprouting and the quality of the mushrooms that came out. And then talking about them storing beer and stuff down there just made me gave me bunghole liquor vibes. All this gives me bunghole liquor vibes because they had all these tunnels down mm-hmm. below the city and that's where they keep their their barrels of beer and using it for nefarious purposes. Yeah, they said they would take their clients down there and just sell from right underneath. And you don't have, no pun intended, a lot of overhead when (laughs) you're underground because it's all on your own terms. (laughs) That was a good one. Also, it gives a whole new meaning to like a speakeasy where you're like, this is super underground. Like literally, (laughs) we're going to have to take a secret staircase to get down here to get this beer. Mm -hmm. One of the breweries was still even active up until the 1960s. Damn. Yeah, that's Mm -hmm. uh, like you said, that's some like from the source, again, where the consistency of the environment of the thing that you're making really does have an impact on the the flavor. So when people are like, you've never had a mushroom like a real Paris mushroom, it's like we haven't because there's no no other place on earth that's like this. And that's especially not one that's growing uh, mushrooms and beer and stuff. Mm -hmm. I mean, mushrooms and beer. Make Sign a pizza. Me up. I could I could live down there. <laughs> yeah, I could make a pizza. <laughs> and it's sixty degrees year round. Oh, perfect. Please, I so will set cool. up shop. I need. I will have to go up top for fresh air every now and then. If I could have like just a skylight, that'd be great. <laughs> okay. Yeah, a skylight. Yeah, I do want to be able a to see like, sunshine. Just elevator is clutch because I'm not trying to walk up two hundred flights of stairs. No, thank you. While millions recognize the name Nicholas Flamel as a character in the Harry Potter series, he was actually a real man who lived in Paris from approximately 1330 to 1418. A manuscript seller and scribe by trade, Flamel is best remembered for allegedly creating the Philosopher's Stone, a magical object with the ability to transform base metals into gold and to grant its holder immortality. The legend supposes that Flamel used the cover of the catacombs to conduct his alchemy. Although Flamel's existence can be proven, the same cannot be said of his alleged creation of the Stone of Immortality. Nevertheless, the legend persists even to this day. I mean, one might say if he had the Stone of Immortality, he would still be alive. (laughs) Yeah, that's true. It's always like when people criticize a psychic, like, well, you should have seen that coming. (laughs) You're like, that's not how it works. You hit me in the face. Just like coming. But it's wild to me that the, I mean, I think too, that's kind of the, I won't say problem, but one of the the downsides of living in America where we came here, there is, was a ton of history on the land, you know, that we don't really, uh, they just sort of bulldozed and was like, it started when we got here, but it didn't. But it's interesting when you do have civilizations like this that were around so long to have written records of somebody that was around a thousand years ago and uh, what they did or didn't do. And what Mm -hmm. if he could do it? What if he could do alchemy and he could turn shit into gold? That's amazing. What if he used the immortality of stone and he's down there hidden in the catacombs and we just don't know about it. I mean, there's a lot of places, lots of nooks and crannies he could be living. And if you have the power of alchemy, you can make anything you want. You make beer, pizza, mushrooms, whatever you want. (laughs) The catacombs are also rumored to contain a gate to hell. Some believe there is a portal down there that allows demonic forces to enter onto our plane and to which unsuspecting visitors may be engulfed. The legend has persisted online, driving some underground to try and find it for themselves. 
and this is like when we did the gates of hell in uh, Columbus, Ohio, that there are certain places around the world that have, be, you know, this is this legend that that actually leads you to hell. I'm like, no one said there's only one. It might be like a stadium yeah. where it's like you're going in this door, you're going in this one. <laughs> lots of lots of ins and outs. They also, uh, back in the day, some looking to capitalize on people's uh, macabre fears and interests would sell tickets and say, I'll take you down there and you can meet the devil himself and then take them down underground and with a bit of pomp and circumstance and actors and sound effects and stuff would, you know, have it be like, oh, you've met Beelzebub. Mm-hmm. Right? You get like a smoke bomb or something and a guy in a good looking costume would be like, I'm the devil, get out of my house. <laughs> and then you go upstairs and t- you up- literally upstairs and tell your friends like, I've been down there, man. I saw it. I saw it. It'd be easy to pull tricks on people back in the day. Also, if the devil was going to live somewhere on earth, I think this would be it. I mean, it sounds like it's very much his aesthetic. I think so. The skull archways are great. Plus, mm-hmm. it's there's really good food and wine. I feel like, you know, gr- uh, gluttony and stuff. You keep yeah. have to have, like, the best food, the best wine and stuff. For sure. And you're just chilling down there all day. He can sin as much as he wants. <laughs> Since their opening, visitors to the catacombs have reported encountering ghostly apparitions and hearing eerie whispers echoing through the tunnels, contributing to the catacombs' reputation as haunted. Indeed, not only is it illegal to visit the catacombs after midnight, but it is highly advised against for a more ghastly reason. Legend has it that if you dare stay in the catacombs past 12 a.m., the bone-lined walls will begin to whisper, provoking you to venture deeper and deeper into the tunnels, until eventually you become lost with no way out. I hate it. I hate it. I hate it. Go (laughs) deeper. Yeah. That's what she said. (laughs) (laughs) Becoming lost in the catacombs is quite easy to do, especially for those that risk exploring the areas that are restricted to the public. In 2011, three friends became turned around in the underground tunnels, searching for an escape for three days before a search and rescue team finally found them. Luckily, they survived. But... Can you imagine the trauma that they endure to this day of just being lost underground amidst six million skeletons for 72 hours? Horrifying. I mean, some of the the twists and turns that are down there from all the footage, like you can, it almost looks like Willy Wonka-ish where you walk and then the the ceiling just gets like lower and lower and lower. Mm -hmm. And you're like, well, that's where I thought we were going to go. And every television show that's ever filmed down there, the host is like, Wait, where were, wait, were we just like you? It just, no matter how much of a crew you have with you, you have cataphiles with you, you have maps, you can still get lost. So to go by yourself is so dangerous. Oh, and yeah. even with the maps, the cataphiles try to keep the maps, the, you know, people that spend a lot of time down there, they try to keep the maps like updated, but shit can just collapse in. So it's, you think you have a way out, but it's collapsed or it's full with water or whatever, and you can't. So that's, ugh, it's, uh, I'm glad they got rescued, but God, what a time. They had to use search dogs, yeah, that eventually tracked them down. And they had mild hypothermia, but others than that were relatively okay. But, I mean, everybody that goes down there, including the cataphiles, are like, if your electricity goes out, you're pretty much donezo. Yeah. I mean, if you don't, there's no lights down there. If you don't have uh, 
a light to light your way and then nobody else comes along like with the the YouTuber that just happened to be found. I mean, you're going to not be able to find your way out and then eventually succumb to the elements or hypothermia or starvation or dehydration. That's a good point. It's not like getting lost in the forest and you go, oh, okay, it's night. I'll go to sleep and wake up and then I'll be able to see where I'm going. It's like, it doesn't matter what time of day it is. No. You can see shit without a headlight lamp. It makes it extra scary knowing that all of that is above you and especially like knowing that there is a huge bustling city 70 feet above your head that is so close yet so far they can't hear you yeah and that's what one of the places that rob mcfarland was trying to go they they like got all the way there and tried to climb up because they were told that that certain hatch hadn't been welded shut and it had been re-welded shut but it's like Oof. you have what you think is good intel and you just happen it so they had to turn and go all the way the whole way back they came which they were not prepared for but were able to do but it's still like oh i literally thought i was about to get out right now and now i have to hike six more miles i don't have it in me <laughs> like i just don't have it in me and and that's why I will never do that because yeah. much like Everest, I watch this and I think, okay, that's cool to go through all this, to get to see all this cool stuff. But then you got to go back mm -hmm. the same way. So it's not like you get the reward and that's it and you can relax. There's still a whole other dangerous journey to to get back afterwards. Yeah, to try to get out. No, mm -hmm. absolutely. And th they were sleeping down there. I mean, it's like, like Everest, oh, yeah. where you have to like plan to camp because it's going to be seven hours of walking. You have to be able to rest, have food, whatever. I was always like, where do you go to the bathroom at? <laughs> where do you poop at? That's, That's what a I good question. Know. I imagine that there is a smell down there yeah. of just urine and, and feces. Some no, people say they'll go down there and camp for days or weeks even. They're like, I'm just trying to get away from it all. And it's like, yeah. that is not a place I would want to get away from it, but to everybody for himself, I guess. But that is a big reason people say they enjoy going down there is because unsurprisingly, there is no service. You can't mm. use your cell phone. You can't get on Instagram and social media and everything, and nobody can contact you. So if that's what you're looking for, that's cool. But also... Nobody can contact you and you can't contact anybody and you don't have GPS or a phone signal if shit goes sideways. It's so off grid. It's under grid. Yeah. It's <laughs> under grid. It's the most off grid you can get, which is under grid. Under grid. God damn. Sinisterhood, we'll be right back. Others haven't been quite as fortunate. A group of teenage girls illegally ventured into the catacombs on New Year's Eve in 2005. After imbibing in adult beverages, one of the girls, named Maja, wandered off from the group. When her friends finally realized she had disappeared, they went searching for her, but sadly were unable to find Maja. Four months later, a group of boys were exploring the catacombs when they made a gruesome discovery, Maja's frozen corpse. Drunk and disoriented, the young girl had become lost from her friends, unable to find her way back through the twisty, endless tunnels. Eventually, Maja passed out and froze to death. That's... Man. Yeah, and I mean, I these things, I don't want to say they're common, but it's very possible this happens when you go down there, especially a lot of teens and people go down there to party, and it doesn't take 
a, it's just a couple twists and turns and all of a sudden you're like, where the fuck was I? And you're yeah. drunk or high and you're like, everything looks the same. There's You're in the dark and then you just keep walking, trying to find your way back and you get even further in and that's it. It's so no, sad. It's so, yeah, like you said, especially because you're not that far from where your friends just mm-hmm. were, but you're, you can't get out and they can't get to you. And also just, you know, reading these stories, 20, 2005, 2011 was not that long ago for no. this to still, it's, it's like a, an attraction. Like people are like drawn to it for some reason, but it's, it's just a thin line. I mean, maybe that is a part of the reason why they're attracted to it. Cause it's a very thin line between surviving and not. Yeah, there's it's thrilling. There's a mm-hmm. macabre excitement to it. I'll say, if I was a teenager in Paris, Uh-oh. I would have gone down in the catacombs yeah, to do this have. kind of stuff. I mean, I just I know I would have, and hopefully I would have made it back out alive. Mm-hmm. But this is the kind of shit that you know got my engine revved up, like rebellious, thrilling types of stuff that was dangerous, but. You're young and you think like, well, I'm in control. I'll be safe. I got Mm -hmm. it all. But now as a 45-year-old woman with kids, I'm like, never would I do this. There's too much on the line. There's It's too risky. Yeah, you see like the natural consequences of their possible consequences. But every teenager's got a place. You had the pipe. They got the catacombs. That's true. That's true. The pipe was above ground, luckily. But yeah, same, same vibe. Yeah. Some of the ghostly happenings are attributed to Philibert Asper, a long-dead doorman of the Val de Grace Hospital. In 1793, before the tunnels were accessible to the public, Philibert decided to go exploring anyway. According to stories passed through oral tradition, he was possibly searching for some chartreuse, a type of secret recipe liqueur created by monks at a nearby monastery and stored in the catacombs for safekeeping. With only a single candle, Philibert went missing in the depths and wasn't found for 11 years. When his remains were located, he was clutching the hospital keys in his hand, indicating he had been searching for an exit when he died. The nearest exit was sadly only a few feet from where his body was found. But it's pitch black. You can't, can't, yeah. You can't go into the catacombs with a single candle. No. Because if it goes out, unless you got an endless supply of matches, you're fucked. And yes. even then, a candle is eventually, the, that corpse wax is going yeah, to eventually melt down and you got nothing. <laughs> like, and then you Marjorie, the corpse wax. <laughs> Marjorie has melted onto my hand. And you're like, now you're stuck. But yeah, it's it's the same thing. Like the, the young lady that was recently found, like you, I say recently, 2005, but it's like, you're not that far. And, and you mm-hmm. can, it's a, I think that's what you're saying, like what you're saying earlier about people being above you. It's so eerie to think that you're trapped and dying and help is impossible to get to, but if proximately, it's that's a word, proximately so close. Yeah, it, I imagine it's, well, a little different, but kind of the same as like being buried alive. Yeah. You know, I mean, you're like, I can hear everything going on above me, but I can't do anything to save myself. And that's, that's worse than just being, yeah, because you're like, it's like losing it on the one yard line. You're like, I'm so fucking close. How can I possibly lose when I could hear rescue so close? Yeah. It always makes those like so much more tragic. And I'm mm-hmm. sure that's why we're still talking about this guy to this day. Mm-hmm. 
A memorial stone for Philibert exists in the catacombs, reading, In the memory of Philibert Asper, lost in this excavation, 3rd November, 1793, found 11 years later and buried at the same place, 30th April, 1804. Philibert's lost soul is not a vengeful one, according to visitors. Those who have encountered what they believe to be his spirit have described feeling an overwhelming need to leave. Others have felt a gentle touch on their shoulder, guiding them toward the exit they had been searching for. Catacombs enthusiasts consider Philibert to be the protector of the catacombs, and he is celebrated on November 3rd, the day of his disappearance. This day is also when his spirit is most reported being seen wandering the bone-filled tunnels. That's good. That's a good ghost to have. One that is helpful and is like, this way, come this way. I didn't know it was there, but I'm, gonna, I'm not going to let you meet the same fate. Right? I will not let that happen to you. <laughs> we like a man who's uh, sacrificed himself and is going on for the greater good. Mm-hmm. The um, Netherworld show, the way that I screamed no, when I typed in, to my Samsung TV, I just typed in catacombs, and then I picked the first show. It was said Netherworld, and it didn't say with whom. And then it comes on, and it's like, I'm Zach Bagans. And I went, no! <laughs> Wait, I was like, I, did, I just wanted to see footage. But he talks about Philibert Asper, but he also talks about, he's like, there's a creature that's in the catacombs. Have you ever seen gargoyles around Paris? And like they show, obviously, in the statuary, there's gargoyles. And he's like, there's also the gargoyles could really be werewolves. And I was like, what? I'm sorry. What now? And he said, is he talking about the plot of Descent? That's kind of where I feel like he's going with this. <laughs> he might be going there. But he's got an expert named Father Sebastian who um, he's a modern day vampire and he dresses like oh. one. So I when- thought priest, but maybe that's to <laughs> give a little trickery. He's not, you're like, oh, a priest. You're like, no, a vampire, but everybody thinks he's a priest. That's how he gets <laughs> all his blood. They're like, do you need this for communion? <laughs> yes. Yes, I do. It's for, yes. Yeah, so that, what's in, is that red wine? Mm hmm. Yep. Yep. It's red wine. It's red wine. <laughs> but he asked him because he's like, I think some of the people that go missing in the catacombs actually are getting eaten by werewolves. And I was like, this is what? beyond, sir. This is beyond the dumbassery that you are normally responsible for. But he asked Father Sebastian, he's like, do you think that could be possible? And of course, it should shock no one that he was like, yes, absolutely. That could be it. Oh, that well, those be- are his adversaries, the werewolves. <laughs> he's like, yes, it's not only possible, it's probable. And I fight them nightly. <laughs> Like, I, uh, I found another host I can't stand Who's that? of a show. I don't even remember his name because I made it about 20 minutes and I was I kept saying to no one but myself, shut the fuck up. Are, Calm down. It, what are you doing? Cities of the Underworld. It's the ball headed guy that's just Dude. like, hey, everybody, this is what. It's like, this isn't God a children's show. Damn. The editing on that show, I couldn't even like focus. It was so quick. I was like, what, what am I looking at? It was so too fast paced. Yeah. And then he wore every single person out that he encountered, every single Prisian or English person he met. Like, they were just like, yes, so I will uh, take you to the catacombs. He's like, oh, <laughs> Are we going to see some skulls? What are we going to see down there? And they are just rolling their eyes like this stupid American. <laughs> He's so, so obnoxious. I, and then, 
a little too um, gregarious and joyful yeah. down below, too. I, I was like, let's pay some respect and just tamp it down a bit, buddy. It's like, people died down here. Please stop saying, oh, I think there's werewolves. And he's like, <laughs> this place is great. And I'm like, this is why they hate Americans, not just Parisians, not just French people, pretty much everybody. I mean, there's Ugh. also just like we destroy the whole world in so many ways. But the behavior one to one surely does not help. I had to bail. I was like, man, this seems like some really, this is good footage. You're seeing a lot of stuff, but I cannot handle your energy or the way this is edited. And then I found many, uh, there's no shortage of of, uh, videos. So you don't have to bore yourself with that one. If you want to just like, feel like you're having a um, coked out fever dream. At some point I was like, did he just do an eight ball before filming this? Like he was off the charts. It was insane. So crazy. I'm so excited. They're like, there's people died like a lot. There's six million (laughs) bodies, dude. Oh, man. The catacombs were closed briefly during the German occupation of Paris in World War II. From September 1939 to April 1945, visitors were prohibited from entering the tunnels for security purposes. Providing the ideal bomb shelter, the Nazis took advantage of the tunnels for their own protection. Heavy iron hatch doors can still be seen in the areas that are closed to the general public, along with rusted out power boxes and a filthy, still standing latrine. Unbeknownst to the Nazis at the time, a mile away from their bomb shelter was the underground headquarters of the French Revolution. Because of the massive labyrinth of tunnels, neither group was aware of each other. Well, maybe that's where you go is in these still standing latrine, although it looked like and I think that people maybe did go in there because the footage I saw that guy was like, I'm not I'm not going to go over there. No, no, no. No. It was uh, this is when I the the coked out host was like, oh, still smells over there, too. And just (laughs) I'm like, yeah, it probably does, because um, it's a pipe to the sewer at the very least or, or something. I don't think it's a Nazi dump. I think like uh, people currently are using it. It's like not still there from the World War II. But the uh, that the bomb shelter areas where some people will like sleep, like some cataphiles are like, oh look, there's like another nice little area. So it, it's like people just adapt to the circumstances and surroundings. I think when I bailed on Cities of the Underworld was at that point when the host said, oh, I wonder if there's still some Nazi turds floating in there. No, sir. And at that point I said, I've had enough. And I, <laughs> and I <laughs> click. <laughs> After Paris was liberated in 1944, the tunnels were reopened to public visitors and tourists, but a new type of individual began exploring the undercity. In the 1950s, a subculture of urban explorers known as cataphiles began illegally navigating the catacombs, going beyond areas marked for public access. This subculture sought a place out of view to explore, socialize with one another, and sometimes engage in illegal activities. Authorities were aware, but unable to catch the crafty and often cheeky explorers who delighted in leaving taunting messages for frustrated police. And they still do. They, uh, oh, yeah. is, he got a cop to open one of the hatches to just show him. And then she like picked it up and it would look kind of like a fake wanted ad. And then it said like, uh, catech files were here. And he was like, you guys get a lot of those. And she's like, yes, we do. <laughs> You're just, just like, God damn it. It's not them again. <laughs> I mean, there's only so much you can do because they've got 
secret openings all over yeah. the city. I mean, literally, like, just you would be walking by. You don't know it's there. And it's, you got to, if you know, you know, type of situation. Right. There's not enough cops to cataphiles no. to be able to keep them out. It's the ratio's off. You'd oh, have yeah. to have like a whole force that's just for that. And it's, I don't think it's worth it. There's not enough nefarious stuff going down for it. Mm-hmm. So they're like, is it crazy? Who knows? <laughs> More worrisome was the area beneath the high security prison, Lassant. Police found some once closed tunnels with access to the prison had been redug and reopened. Initially, authorities worried that perhaps prisoners were attempting to make an escape in the end, police spokeswoman Catherine Breguet told NBC they weren't concerned, saying, We think it's amateurs of the underground looking for an old passage. Tunneling from the prison may not be a concern, but other criminals have certainly left their marks in the catacombs. Robbers in 2017 used the catacombs to gain access to an impressive underground wine cellar in a high-rise building. The thieves tunneled through the limestone to steal 300 bottles of wine, valued at over 350,000 euros. The culprits then used the catacombs to successfully transport the rare bottles of vino out of the tunnels into the highest bidder. Oh, you know the person that like worked in that building and discovered that was like, we can dig a tunnel. Like, we can get here through there. And just you just take like one at a time. Enough at a time to, like, sell it and make it worth it, but not so much that they notice that it's all gone all at once. It was Genius. a private a private apartment's collection, first of all, to be that rich. Yeah. To have a catacomb wine cellar with 300 bottles of wine. I don't even know if that was all of them. Those are just what they took. Right. But that's a flex. Yeah, that's a – and that's pro- probably a person that was like, I will buy some more. It's okay. I don't like the loss, <laughs> but it's all right. But it's that's wild that you – don't check that you have that much wine that you don't check that often that it could all get stolen. It's just what my mama says, get more money than you got since. Ooh, yes. Indeed. Many cataphiles risk life and limb to explore the deepest parts of the catacombs, illegally entering through former sewer holes or tunnels. They have dug themselves from the outside located under bridges. These holes are barely big enough to squeeze through. Those that make it in must send army crawl through openings as small as two feet wide to reach their destination. In the History Channel, Cities of the Underworld, the host is guided through these claustrophobic spaces by a seasoned cataphile. The result? A rare glimpse of the subterranean city that most will never see. The narrow passageways open up to large rooms covered in colorful murals painted by fellow cataphiles as a way to commemorate their dangerous journey. Some of that art is wild, and it would oh, take yeah. you very hours, if not, if not like days, to do it. But man, also to get all your get equipment there. and shit down there. Like again, I mean, this guy—they literally like hop over a bridge from the street up above, mm-hmm. climb down like kind of gates to hell style, and, and walk along a bunch of rubble under a bridge, and then there's just this like dugout hole on the side that. Most people would walk by and not even notice, but he's like, here we go. And they, I mean, can barely fit through it Mm-mm. and then have to like army crawl and walk through water and just so much effort to get there. Is it worth it? Maybe for some, I would, the risk um, is not worth the reward for me personally. If I could take an elevator down there, I'd love to see it, but I'm not built to <laughs> crawl through Water and, like, 
uh, tunnels that I'm like, I could get stuck in here and die. And this is just how I go. Right. And you and and maybe if your phone is turned off, like they don't know that's where you went, unless you tell someone I am going into the catacombs of the catafile. You don't have service, so it doesn't nope. matter. No, so you're just done. They'll never find you. But that I think that same route is the one that Rob McFarlane took and described of like going through in the small and then on the other side of it, it was all painted. And that's Mm -hmm. where they said he said there was fruit, baguettes, wheels of brie of uh, uh, bottles of alcohol, cans of beers, a CD player. So people do like I guess you would just make everybody bring something or one person is having to bring everything. I would hope not. (laughs) Surely everybody. It's like, you know, we it's like a potluck. You got to have a catacombs potluck because I can't be bringing my crock pot and also my CD player and also my beer. Like everybody takes turns. You got to take turns. It's um, once you get down there, though, I think you do have to spend quite a bit of time because Mm -hmm. you got to make it worth it. But then you think. Okay, we've come down here. We've partied. Now we all got to go back that way. But now we're not. We're drunk. We're high. We're whatever. Like you sleep it off down there, dude. Mm-mm. And now you're drunk down in the catacombs. You wake up. You forget where you're at. God damn. We've all done that where you drink and you're like, where am I? And you're like, okay, I'm on my friend's couch. But wake up and go, where am I? Oh, I'm in the the room of bones or whatever. (laughs) Some of them too. On that map, that cataphile map, they are very creative with their names. They had the room of cubes, the bunker under the mountain, which is clever, the Medusa, the crossroads of the dead. The uh the boutique of psychosis. I'm okay. Yikes. No, and where I would like to go, just hopefully it doesn't. It's not a literal name. The monastery of the bears. Oh, the catacomb like bears, bear monks. They're, but they're just werewolves. these names and stuff. It, get, it sounds like an underground club, and then you get down there, and it is one. So yeah, you'd have to spend your time if you you crawled. A lot of them too carve the actual street name. That mm-hmm. is above it. So that's another way that they can kind of get around or they'll, you know, put arrows and stuff trying to help people so they don't get lost down there. But like you said, shit changes all the time. And you're also relying on hopefully someone is being honest. Right. That's the other thing, too. So I think you're right. It's kind of like you got if you know, you know, like mm-hmm. you have to be a person in the know and trust the person who says they know. <laughs> Painted murals aren't the only art showcased down below. Secret art exhibitions have been held in the catacombs, the eerie setting providing a haunting backdrop impossible to replicate in a traditional gallery. Underground parties and raves have seen upwards of 300 people in attendance, all having arrived via secret entrances and passageways. Arguably the most anticipated of these parties is the annual Cataloween. A huge Halloween bash hosted 65 feet underground. Here, partygoers risk the possible fine of $77 by police that patrol the catacombs for a chance to dance the night away to DJ spun beats. One attendee told The Guardian why Cataloween is much more than just a party. It's all about escaping from the norm for a few hours. Here, there's no one to tell us what to do. Here, we can do as we please. Here... We can forget Macron and his stupid centrist government. Here, we are free. And sure, how man. do the DJs get all of that down there? There's <laughs> oh, got to be there's got to be one way that it's like you don't have to crawl throughout there somewhere. There's an because some people said they even found like um, 
doors in their own basements in their home. Once they Mm -hmm. uh, research, they're like, oh shit, this leads down there. Or like in their school and stuff. Imagine you're just like, imagine you're 15 year old Christy and you're (laughs) just meandering about your high school and you're like, oh, this closet goes right on down into the catacombs where we can go and have a party and do whatever we want. I got to imagine that's how some of these people are getting down there because how are you going to get a whole turntable through one of those tiny ass openings? <laughs> it's just like, well, I'll have to disassemble it and reassemble <laughs> it down there. <laughs> but you're right. And I think sometimes manhole covers will come. I either somebody from the city is a cataphile and is like, yeah, yeah, I'll open it oh, for you. You know, and an they'll open it. job. That makes and it's sense. like, yeah, an inside job. So then you, you get down there and you kind of look the other way. Cause your buddy asks you to, or, or because you want to go for 77, not even, you don't have to pay 77 bucks yeah. to get there. You go and you might have to pay 77 bucks if you get caught. Otherwise it's a cool free party. I might be, con- I might be convinced to go to Cataloween. <laughs> it's not a hefty enough fine to deter yeah. me. <laughs> It's just like a nuisance fine. Yeah, it's less than a parking ticket. So, yeah, and I mean, and they can also arrest you, but you know, unless you're like doing something insane, I don't think they're going to. They're probably just more worried that like, at any help. second this could cave in, and now we got to deal with. But if it does, you, that's your final resting place. It's already six million others, so now it's yours too. Right, it's like Philibert Asper. They're like, we found him. We'll just bury him over here. (laughs) You're already here. But it's like 300 people. Yeah, what are they going to arrest 300 people? Maybe. Probably not, though. It's probably the smart ones that know how to hide would hide, and then the ones that are too slow would get caught but just get fined. The videos of this, too, are wild. I mean, just, it is a rave down there. And Mm -hmm. I'm like, I bet the acoustics are fucking great. So good. But everyone's just... Yeah, just like partying and having the time of their lives down there. That's what Rob McFarlane was like. There was just a boombox wired up to speakers and everybody's dancing. And he's just like looking around and he's like, this is deeply surreal. Like Uh I am beneath the city and they have no idea. We're just like busting into some brie down here. In 2004, authorities discovered a fully operational and unauthorized movie theater inside the catacombs. It had seating carved into the stone enough for 20 audience members and a large screen with a projector. Electricity had been wired in from nearby buildings with a functional kitchen and bar to serve the guests. Phone lines and a security system were also present, complete with cameras and motion detectors that would blast the sound of barking dogs if triggered. Commander Luc Rougerie told the Associated Press, There was a certain surprise. When the theater was uncovered, when authorities headed back down to dismantle the theater days later, they found it completely gone. In its place was only a single note reading, Do not try to find us. That's they like some- knew because of the security cameras and the mm-hmm. police were like, we knew we were being watched and you got to a certain point and it's just recordings of dogs barking. So either you're scared off or at least it gives the people on the other end, like a heads up of mm-hmm. somebody's coming this way. Yeah. It's enough time to run. That's a definitely a surprise when you're like, this is okay with Alamo draft. And it's nice looking. I mean, there's tons of pictures and and videos Uh of people down there. And it's like a full on restaurant is down there. There's a beautiful table set Mm -hmm. out where you could like can't eat by candlelight. And then like there were all these DVDs of like classic film noir films Mm -hmm. and everything. Like if you're willing to 
take the risk of squeezing your ass through some of this stuff to get down there, <laughs> it can, it's, could be quite an experience. Right. It's quite a date to be like, I want to take you to the movie, dinner and a movie. And you're like, oh, great. And it's like, wear comfortable shoes. Tell your yeah. family where you're going to be. Your phone's <laughs> going to be um, in non-functional for a few hours. You're like, yeah. I'm sorry, what was that? It's like, yeah. we're just going to watch a racer head and eat a baguette down here in Dude. this hole. Sinisterhood, we'll be right back. One cataphile allegedly found a video camera abandoned deep in the tunnels. He passed it along to filmmaker Francis Friedland, who immediately checked out the footage from the tape inside. Friedland told Scariest Places on Earth. I looked at the tape. It's very bizarre. It's a point of view shot. Somebody just walking forward with a camera, filming what he sees. Endless. In addition to the POV shots, there are, unsurprisingly, shots of human bones lying discarded in the tunnel. Some shots show entire rooms full of bones, areas that are extremely deep within the catacombs and far from places tourists are meant to wander. After about 20 minutes of footage, the cameraman began walking quickly before breaking into a sprint as his breathing increased. At one point, he dropped the camera and the lens captured the man's feet running away, sloshing through standing water. The camera rolled until it ran out of tape. Friedland became determined to find the anonymous cameraman, or at least what was left of him. Faced with 400 miles of tunnels, Friedland asked for help from a cataphile as well as from a historian to help him. The historian told Friedland, No one knows how many passageways exist in the catacombs, but we believe they go down over 300 feet. We think there are as many as seven levels to it, spreading across the entire city. Based on landmarks identified in the footage, Friedland and the team he assembled determined the anonymous cameraman made it at least six miles in, down to about 300 feet below street level. Friedland and his crew spent hours and hours searching the catacombs, using the clues they pieced together. Eventually, their equipment ran low on batteries, and afraid for their safety, they emerged to the surface empty-handed. Friedland never identified the mysterious cameraman or found his remains. In 2018, nearly two decades after his trip down below, Friedland told Zach Bagans in the show Netherworld, I will never, never go back to the catacombs. I refuse to go back down there. As for the validity of the tape, skeptics have their doubts. Some believe the camcorder was planted by producers from the scariest places on Earth. Others think it was Friedland himself. The video has never been shown in its entirety to the public, leaving many to question why, if the purpose is to solve the identity of the mystery cameraman. Whether a hoax or not, the footage is undeniably creepy. The footage is creepy. He sells it in all of his interviews. But it was very interesting timing that this all came about pretty quickly after the movie The Blair Witch Project became super famous. Mm -hmm. And that's still, I think it's still based on budget and then how much it brought in is like the, the most profitable movie of all time because it really was quite cheap to make. But it's like, we could do the same thing. Mm -hmm. <laughs> the catacombs are just as scary as the forest. This so. is also, uh, I believe... The premise for As Above, So Below. Yeah. And th that's just a real movie. But this, yeah. you know, this is sort of p put to you as like, truly like, it's real, everybody. And uh, when you're like, well, can let me see all of it? And it's like, no, don't, no need to do that. That's yeah. Okay. <laughs> I think um, the footage is creepy, but also it's not like 
mind-blowingly creepy. You don't hear like an animal growl or anything it's a like werewolf. that. I mean, to me, if I am uh, claustrophobic, I'm not sure where I'm going and panic sets in and I just start to kind of freak out and, and run and stuff, maybe hyperventilate. I feel like your air supply. Yeah. I mean, you're, there's only so much down there, you know, like, yeah, I could see you just start to panic and run off and then you get lost or clock into something. Yeah. Nobody finds you or it's just a publicity stunt to get, you know, some, uh, some buzz around what you're doing. Yeah, because, I mean, rolling until it runs out of tape is like, I was like, oh, they must have left that camera for hours. But if it was like kind of a 20-minute video, maybe it was like, oh, I'm going to put this footage out there, see if I have any takers, and nobody wanted to buy it. And it was like, don't worry about the mystery. We don't care about it anymore. Mm -hmm. But being down there, man, Zach Bagans put up cameras. He taped them up, and he's like, we're going to put our cameras and come back. And then they got stolen immediately. Damn. And then he comes back and he's like, they took the cameras and the voice recorder. And it was like, yeah, man, you taped a camera the side of the wall. And if the cataphiles, I'm sure, like, did you put this here? Did you put this here? This might be the fucking cops. Let's take it, you know? Or you just want to steal it because there's a free camera there. Like, you duct taped a camera and were shocked when he came back and it was stolen. The arrogance that he thought that would go well. Yeah. Fucking silly. Also, why didn't he just stay down there with it, Mr. Uh, I'm going to intimidate all these ghosts. He didn't want to like bow up and start antagonizing six million skeletons. I'm going to fight a werewolf today on camera. (laughs) (laughs) The rise of social media has contributed to a growth in those interested in becoming cataphiles. The r slash Paris Catacombs subreddit boasts nearly 8,000 members and is one of the top 10% sub communities on the site by size. Online forums have made it much easier for adventurous urban explorers to know how to enter the restricted areas, something the more dedicated cataphiles aren't thrilled about. While most cataphiles are interested in preserving the catacombs and mapping the area for fellow explorers, others are just there to party and spray paint graffiti. Author and cataphile Giles Thomas shared his opinion on this group with The Guardian. We call these people cataclasts. Those who degrade the quarries, as opposed to the cataphiles who love, cherish, and respect this precious landscape. Cataphiles regularly organize underground trips called cataclines to pick up the mess the cataclasts leave behind. That's true. When you take something that was a subculture only passed by word of mouth and literally put it online, then all of a sudden, anybody, not even not the people that would maybe be the most dedicated and prove it by showing up and going to things and going to cataclines, anybody then becomes privy to that information. You do have the cocaine at the bottom of the Mariana Trench. You know, oh, it's yeah. Like people that are just like, hey, this place is cool. All right, let's go. And you're like, no worries. We'll clean it up. And they show, I mean, tons of footage down there has trash everywhere. One of them said on one of the um, cataclines, they like kind of do it over a weekend that they got one ton of trash. God, they brought out of there. And I mean, that's just out of the goodness of their hearts and Mm -hmm. wanting to preserve something that's important to them. The city doesn't send people down there. The city does have, they call them cataflicks because flick Mm -hmm. is a slang term for cop over there that you know patrol down there and stuff but it's not like you got a whole task force you just Mm -hmm. got maybe one or two cops you know patrolling the area to make sure they don't stumble upon something that's 
super illegal or somebody that's lost or something like that, but they might pick up some trash here and there. But the YouTuber that I was watching that also got his camera stolen down there, which I hadn't naively thought, oh yeah, that's probably like something that could definitely happen is even if you don't have a camera, you're just down there. Mm -hmm. Other people are down there too. Who's going to stop somebody from robbing somebody or, or worse, you know? Yeah. If somebody I, just I, walks up to you and is like, give me your watch or give me your camera or give me your whatever, what are you going to be like? Help, help. Like, yeah. No can or you, so. uh, attacks you or yeah. assaults you in some way. Mm -hmm. But um, they are looking around and they're, they're like, oh, well, there's a ton of these things. And they're picking up bottle caps and they gather like a hundred bottle caps because they're going to do like a Hansel and Gretel breadcrumb situation yeah. to try and find their way out, which is about this time is when the other guy comes along and, and helps him get out. Who is by himself too? That's so, that's freaky. And it's, mm -hmm. to, you don't know who is around. And, and luckily that was a friendly person that was around yeah. that came there. Or even like if you set bottle caps up, if somebody is mischievous or mean or whatever and moves the, where they go in order to literally like get you trapped somewhere so they could rob you or something like that. Mm -hmm. So that's, that's what he, um uh Rob McFarland down there said they were walking in like, 30 feet ahead of them, they saw like a flame and then it went out. And then she's like, I, the cataphile that was giving him uh, a tour was like, I didn't think there was anybody else down here. Like, I didn't think. Mm. And then they got up there and there was nobody up there because, of course, they either kept moving or they were hidden in a cave or whatever. But he's like, Yikes. it gives you this eerie feeling of like, well, there was somebody there. Yeah. <laughs> Who's <laughs> down here? I mean, people live, <laughs> people live down there. Yeah. You know, some people, uh, they've, Cops and stuff, or even cataphiles, they've come upon like makeshift beds, mm -hmm. you know, and like whole like living quarter areas. I want to say Airbnb, even at one point, and I don't know if it was just a publicity stunt or they really offered it, but they had like a bedroom set up down there that you could, I mean, it was like an astronomical price to, to spend the yeah. night there. But I mean, if you think about it, like what's to stop? anybody unhoused people or just people that want to get off the grid from going down there. And yeah, there's so many areas you could hide. You could just live down there. Yeah. You, you wouldn't be tracked. Like there's no. not like they, anybody taking tickets at the front of most of those entrances. Mm -mm. The 2014 film as above, so below also contributed to the mythos. The found footage style movie follows as a team of explorers encounters the supernatural in the depths of the catacombs as they are searching for a specific artifact. I've heard good things about this. I mm -hmm. want to watch it. I haven't watched it yet, but mm -hmm. it's supposed to be pretty scary. It's a perfect place to set a horror film. Oh, yeah, yeah. Curious visitors can still descend the steps down into the catacombs' ancient passageways. There is a specific area marked for visitors and a know-before-you-go advisory on the location's official website, including a warning about the 243 steps you must conquer to get inside and back out again. For those souls who'd like to descend further into the winding caves and caverns where authorities have forbidden tourists to tread, you'll need to find your own cataphile guide. But be careful, you may find more than just Philibert's friendly ghost when you decide to plumb these depths. The future of the catacombs may hold more than just 6 million Parisian skeletons. The Paris architectural firm Fieldwork has begun experimenting with the catacombs as a source of geothermal energy. 
The hope is that they could be used to help regulate the temperatures throughout the City of Lights by utilizing the underground City of Darkness, implementing the catacombs as a natural source to help cool and heat homes and businesses. I love that. So what do we think? Yeah, I love that that it's a thing that's been around for, you know, I mean, since it was mined, you know, 2,000 years ago, that it's now being preserved in many ways. And also, like, possibly it could help make us a a nicer friend to the planet of, like, finding a, a new source of energy. It might become essential. Yeah. To yeah. the planet. That we got to live down there now. <laughs> we all got to go down there. Because we got to go somewhere. Because up here gets way too hot. But yeah, it's um, it's fascinating. I really, I'd heard of the catacombs. I didn't really know much about them. I certainly did not know. Six million skeletons are down there, which is three times as many living people live in Paris. That's so, so many. <laughs> there's three times as many dead living underground than there are living above, which is pretty wild to think about. Yeah, and especially because you just tread over them every day without giving mm-hmm. it another thought. Because, you know, we it's not like we don't have cemeteries here. We were just talking about them. But we're not often walking over what is someone's final resting place, whether intentionally as the bodies that were taken out of the cemeteries and replanted, or unintentionally the people that have died by getting lost. So you're literally any almost anywhere that you walk in Paris are walking above this cavernous depths. Yeah. I want to go. It's wild. I want to go. I definitely want to go. I certainly want to go to the area where you can get tours. But I'm not saying I won't go (laughs) to Cataloween or maybe even another. But I gotta, I gotta have a more um, inviting entrance than belly crawling through uh, uh, my own coffin. I can't, I can't, my own grave. I can't do that. No, and that's what Rob McFarlane described that like just dust, like because you're sweating and wet and then the dust is like caked down in your hair and it's on your clothes and it's like borderline like in your skin. And I wouldn't mind going to a, like a a more underground kind of cataphiles only area if it was like through a hatch that wasn't, um, Mm -hmm you know, that wasn't sealed shut because you can kind of climb down the little ladder on the side. But uh, it learning about this was phenomenal because I had no clue. I mean, I knew it existed, especially since we got that lovely postcard and like, you know, you kind of see it on like things to do in Paris, but I just had no idea its origin. And especially at the beginning, I was like, what do you, they just took the bodies and just chucked them down there. <laughs> yeah. I just was like, surely not. But yeah, they did. But I'm glad that they found a way to take what was just like a, an anonymous pile of bones and turn it into something that is like beautiful, that still can be this like temple of the dead, you know, monument to the dead, that those people's memory now, I mean, whatever you think about it being like crammed on a wall in a mosaic, but it's not done so with malice. I think it was what a Deterie was like, really genuinely wanted mm-hmm. it to be something that was a beautiful piece of art. So I would rather be taken from a, a pile of sludge goo and made into a beautiful piece of art. Art. Not everybody's art, though. As we know, there's some dump piles where they're like, ah, this one sucks. So, but still, yet, I think those, even those areas, the people that respect it, like the cataphiles, even though they're down there to do something fun and wild, they're, they, they appreciate and respect the area and want to, it's almost like, how people treat in the most ideal of circumstances, national parks of like, pack yeah. your stuff in, pack it out, like, leave it better than you found it. So I'm glad there's a, 
even if it's not an official, like the city is in enforcing this, there's this like unofficial culture of like, we care for this area, even, you know, 200 years later. Yeah. Yeah. Agreed. And I think even today, there's still that feeling of if you want to escape from what's going on in the real world, like it's a form of escapism. And it's, mm-hmm. I mean, for centuries has been used as like a way to um, literally escape from war or riots. You know, they, there was, um, oh, I think it was in the sixties or seventies, there was a riot with students there and the police, and they would use the catacombs as a way to, you know, like travel and get from one place to another. So it's kind of like this, underground system of safety and escapism but at the same time it's so incredibly dangerous and the risk is so great to go down there but i think that's what makes it worth it for a lot of people because like with cave diving like you mentioned at the beginning of the episode people that do that like they want to be some of the only people that have ever laid eyes on this specific thing and there is something very thrilling about that if you're willing to be like, well, I could die doing this. I'm going <laughs> to, yeah. fingers crossed I don't. And usually usually people don't, but it's definitely possible and it could be me. Yeah, it's more possible than just walking down the street or whatever. Sure. And so I do think that's why it's great that there are the cataphiles that want to be guides or want to update the maps, keep them current and make sure that people that do good or like drawing. I saw in one of the uh, episodes or one of the videos, somebody had spray painted like a line on the ceiling, like as you're walking. So you could kind of look up and go, oh, that's the line of how I got out. So mm-hmm. I, I'm happy to see that there is a kind of taking that responsibility on of like, this is a place that we want to preserve and make available to people who want to come down here with the, the proper respect. But I love it. Yeah, it's it's interesting that the city has, even knowing that, you know, there's all these areas that people go to illegally, that efforts haven't been made to kind of uh, do more to make those areas safer and perhaps even open some of them to the public. I mean, it's kind of like we don't want people down there and there's a very small percentage that's open, but if you know everyone's going down there, but that also might take the thrill of it away from the cataphiles because they don't, like they said, we can come down here, we're on our own terms, we don't mm-hmm. have to worry about the government and stuff. So if you get the government involved, it's it loses a bit of its excitement, I imagine. Yeah, and if it's not just you and people that are down there because they genuinely want to be and like want to feel that feeling of one of the only people that have been there and it's like, you know, 300 tourists waiting in a line with tickets, mm-hmm. like, when's my time? This is taking a long time. You know, that the attitude sort of changes when it's a, you know, you could just sort of buy a ticket. Although reading TripAdvisor reviews of people that have been down there, all pretty much everybody is like, you really feel the gravity of the space and it's a place to be revered and appreciated and things like that. So I think it's, it, even if you're going down there of like, oh, well, this is kind of our hop on, hop off bus, just kind of like a touristy thing. You are transformed by your experience in and I love the connection too in the same way that people in those the guest book like Aaron Marie legacy finding those guest book entries it was incredible to read those and we only included a few of them but she's she's got pages and pages of them and those feelings that we all feel when we go to liminal spaces like this it's truly a space between you know life and death where the veil is thinner but that feeling of 
this is going to be me. I This is now mm-hmm. I know to truly live because we all end up the same. Every head on that wall, you know, every head on that archway had a whole entire life and a whole entire family. So it, there is something to be said about the gravity of the space. And I'm glad that people, when it first opened, felt that way and currently still do this to this day. So may the cataclysm not fuck it up for everybody. Right. Next thing for us to do is get ourselves there. Let's go Paris. Let's do it. Sell some Paris tickets to Full Moon Energy Paris. We'll do it in Oh my gosh, French. That would be so much fun. And <laughs> I feel like we probably have at least a couple of listeners that are cataphiles that would probably yeah. be like, "Hey, I can get y'all in." Yes, send us an the, email if you the can. The real catacomb. area of the catacomb. Oh, yes. Definitely send us an email if you're a catafile. <laughs> or if you've been, you know, like I said, submit it to freaky sinisterhood.com slash freaky Friday. Submit if you've had any weird experiences down there or mm-hmm. any experience. I mean, just going yeah. down there at all is an experience. Yeah. The, if you heard the whispers, if you heard the call of the skulls, it was like, Ooh. come down here further. And I also just want to say I downloaded this app because I, you know, I like audiobooks and that. New Yorker articles really long. It's like probably a 30, 45 minute read, depending on how fast you read. And there's an app called Speechify. We're not sponsored by them, although I'm open to it. But um, <laughs> you can just choose for for it to read stuff to you. And so I was like, read me this article. And it was like, do you want Kyle, Janice, or Snoop Dogg? And I was like, for sure, Snoop Dogg. <laughs> so it was the most, I'm just on a walk and Snoop Dogg's like, yeah, then they took me down in this 18 inches. So my mind was envisioning, it was Rob McFarlane, the author, but my mind was envisioning it with Snoop Dogg. So oh. if you need somebody to read you stuff, Snoop Dogg is on Speechify and it's fantastic. Also, 100% would go down to the catacombs with Snoop Dogg <laughs> and smoke a huge fat blunt My and God. just smoke out that tunnel. Can you, oh man, just like... <sighs> <laughs> just ride on up to the the they have like the big shafts that kind of go all the way up to the ceiling just watch it go up the mm-hmm. uh, manhole cover that'd be phenomenal yeah it made me really sad that i don't get to go to the catacombs with snoop dogg but i felt like i did and i loved well, it yeah it goes you know what? do you want gwyneth paltrow's voice i'm like never no <laughs> never in a million years do i ever want her voice doing anything no. except saying goodbye and she leaves <laughs> acting forever <laughs> Yeah, I was like, hell no, I don't want Gwyneth Paltrow's voice, Mm -mm. but what a dream. I do want Snoop Dogg, and I'm going to put it on my vision board. Let's put it on our vision board. Catacombs with Snoop Dogg. Dogg, 2025, it's happening. We are doing it. Well, if you like our free episodes, you'll love our Patreon bonus content. You can join for free to see what we're up to next or dive into over 800 hours of bonus content. February is almost over, and that's not great if you haven't signed up for our Patreon yet because it is the best time to join now. you got to get there before February 29th. If you've been debating on whether to join, we have a free trial, so you can join for a week to check out the perks, cancel anytime before the trial's over without getting charged. But if you decide to stick around... February 29th is the deadline to get two months free when you sign up for an annual membership. So it's currently 16% off through February 29th. So act now if you've been on the fence about it. And uh, Tommy said that some folks on Reddit were saying such nice things about our Patreon. So thank Thank you so much for getting out there and spreading the word. We appreciate it. Why else is February a good time to join? Because we have DocuWary going on. We've already reviewed three of our documentaries for this month. But this Friday at 2 p.m. Central, we will be discussing Navalny, the 2022 Best Documentary Winner of the Academy Awards. 
it's pretty timely too, because just last week, Navalny died under what the Russian government is calling natural causes, what we're calling suspicious as fuck. So his wife just went on YouTube and was like, Vladimir Putin killed my husband and he's a coward because he won't release the body. So very timely. I'm excited to watch this documentary and discuss it in the context of what's going on. Mm -hmm. Yes. So you can either watch ahead of time and talk with us in the chat, or you can, if you don't mind spoilers, just join in. But we have so much fun. We go live on Crowdcast 2 p.m. Central on Friday. We'll be talking about it. We'll discuss in the chat. Everyone always brings such good like insight in their own i like hearing other people's Mm -hmm. opinions but also you know i watch it alone and then i'm like oh i wasn't the only one that thought this and this so it's very like um validating to be like oh we all were watching independently but we were having like this shared experience yeah it bring it feels like we're all together plus when you join you also get ad-free episodes monthly live streams our q a is going to be february 28th at 8 p.m central quarterly bonus content weekly bonus content monthly mini soge year-round merch discounts for rolling the airwaves and getting into it tier and some of the best people on the whole internet that we get to hang out with uh, at these live streams and in our facebook group And for recent patrons, thank you so much for supporting the show and make sure you stick around after our sign-offs to hear your shout-out. You can also head to SinisterHood.com and click shop on the top banner to check out merch like t-shirts, mugs, totes, stickers, and even clothes for your kiddos. Shop now. Um, Some of our tour merchandise is deeply discounted uh, from 2022 and 2023. They are really cool designs. And uh, we're about to go back on the road with Full Moon Energy. So we're just, uh, we got limited quantities before we hit the 2024. But uh, if you want them on a deal, go over to SinisterHood.com. You can even use your Patreon discount as well. Absolutely. While you're on our website, you can also review the show, follow us on socials, and check out the episode description for sources used during our research. You'll also find fun things like topic-based playlists and links to live show tickets. We will be going back out on tour soon. (laughs) We're finalizing dates and cities now. Also, if you're a patron, you get first dibs on those tickets, including VIP. So it's just another reason to sign up. Another perk. You can follow us on Instagram and threads at Sinisterhood Pod. Like us on Facebook at Sinisterhood. Watch full video episodes on YouTube. They drop early and ad free on Patreon. Just saying. But you can watch the full episode on YouTube along with some clips from Freaky Friday, clips from live streams, all kinds of fun stuff over on our YouTube channel. So be sure to subscribe there and uh, check out shorter clips on our TikTok where uh, we're posting all kinds of fun stuff all the time. So, uh, Also, if you want a video for yourself, go to Cameo.com, search Sinisterhood, and we can do a custom video shout out. We can say happy birthday, happy anniversary, any wonderful message you want us to. It's about to be graduation as the the semester Mm -hmm. ends. We do a lot of those or congratulations on getting accepted to a new program or getting a new job or a pep talk or something like that. We love doing Cameos. So go to Cameo.com and uh, search Sinisterhood to order your personalized video shout out today. Christy, where are you at on the World Wide Web? I am on Instagram at Christy M. Wallace and TikTok at Christy or GTFO. Heather? Pretty much everywhere at Heather versus the world. As always, the devil rules the airwaves. Keep it creepy. Thank you so much for supporting the show on Patreon. Here are your special Patreon shoutouts. Sage King. Brooke Caldwell. Amy Scott. Elena Coria, Victoria Vasquez, Shelby Ann, Courtney, Lisa Kaya, Nicholas Gurgler, Jenna, Jennifer Gathergood, Heather Brereton, Morgan Nace, Michelle Belmer, 
Zoe Newborough, Robin Hill, Christina S., and Shelley Hofstetter. Thank you so much for supporting the show. We could not do this without you all. We sincerely appreciate each and every one of you. We hope we pronounce your names correctly. Stay safe, stay healthy, and keep it creepy. Mwahaha. <laughs> Say.